Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you that you lead us and you guide us. We thank you that you have given us your word. I pray, as Dan has already mentioned, that we would have a right attitude towards your word, that we would let you speak your truth into our lives for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. (coughs) Amen. Last week in our discipleship series, we looked at prayer. That was lesson number three. Today we're on to lesson number four. And it's kind of funny because today we're going to look at a prayer. We're, we're not focusing on prayer as our theme today, but we're going to look at a prayer that Jesus prayed in John 17. In John 17, the night before he was crucified, Jesus prayed with and for his disciples. And we have that prayer recorded here. And one of the things that that shows me is that Jesus wanted... Is it, it keeps popping in and out. Okay. My microphone. I'm sorry. Uh, might be a battery issue here. Um, we'll just keep going. So, uh, so Jesus was praying for his disciples, with his disciples. And in, in that, he was teaching them how they should pray. But also in that, he was praying specific things for them and teaching them other things that would be important for them. What I want to do is I want to focus on one part of this prayer, one paragraph in my Bible at least, John 17, 13 through 19. And I want to show you an important plan that God has for our lives and an important tool that God has given us to carry out that plan. In this part of the prayer, Jesus prays for two things. He prays for the disciples' protection and for their sanctification. Now, we're not going to focus much on the protection part, but isn't it nice to know that Jesus prayed that we would be protected from the evil one? And the reason I say that, I I say we, you, you might look at this prayer and say, wait a second, isn't he just praying for his disciples? Well, I believe that he's actually praying not only for them, but also for us, because verse 20 in this prayer, Jesus says, My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That's us, all believers throughout the ages who believe that Jesus is praying for us in this passage. But it's that second part of Jesus' request in our passage today that I want to focus on. And it has to do with sanctification. And don't worry if you don't know what that word means yet. I'll explain it to you. Well, now let's read John 17, 13 through 19. Jesus, again, is praying to the Father for his disciples. He says, I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world, so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that, you, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. My sermon today has four points, and each of the points are going to build off of each other. And then when I'm done with those four points, I want to conclude with some application and some roadblocks that might get in the way for us. My first point today is that we don't belong to this world. We don't belong to this world. Many of you know that I spent about a year of my life in Turkey. It was about ten months there. I went there as a missionary. I went to tell people the gospel of Jesus Christ. But while I was there, I realized something very quickly. Turkey is not my home. I I mean, you kind of quickly figure that out. Uh, Do we have a new battery here? Okay, here. I'll just hand this off to you and you can hand it back to me when you're done. Uh, 
when I hit the ground right away in Turkey, people were speaking this strange language. And I had studied it for a, a short time, but not enough to speak it. Certainly not enough to speak it fluently. And, and also when I was there, I got sick a bunch of times. In fact, the first two months I was there, I got ill six times. So I don't know if it was... Um, I don't know if it was something that was in the food or something that was in the air or what it was, but my body was just not able to handle what was going on there. And, and I've also mentioned to you many times before, they didn't have Mountain Dew very prevalent there. I'm not going to get into that again. It made me homesick. But, but there was another beverage that they didn't have, at least to my liking there, milk. I, I am a big fan of milk. I drink it with every meal. I wake up every morning. I have it on my cereal for breakfast. I have it for lunch. I have it for supper. I have another bowl of cereal before I go to bed. I love milk. I like the taste of it. I, I hear it's good for you, so I like to drink it. I went to Turkey, and one of the first things you do is, you know, you try to go to the grocery store and figure out how, what in the world am I going to eat. And I, I came to the refrigerated section, and they had milk there, so I bought some. I took it home, and I drank some of it, and it was awful. It just was like, what is that? That is not milk. It's like, well, maybe I got a bad one. Go back to the grocery store, pick up another one. Same thing. It was just, what in the world is wrong with this stuff? What am I going to do? I'm, I'm supposed to be here for 10 months and I can't drink the milk? That's not going to work. So what do you do? Well, I, I just didn't drink much milk. I, I found some flavored yogurt that was okay. But even the, the normal yogurt tasted just off to me. All the dairy products there tasted off. Cheese tasted off. It's like... I, I just came very quickly to realize Turkey was not my home. I was there for a different reason than just to make a living for myself. I was there to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, in one sense, that's the attitude that we should have wherever we go. Even in comfortable Fergus Falls, we should take a little bit of that mindset with us that this is not our home. We belong somewhere else. In our passage today, Jesus explains to us that we who belong to him do not belong to this world. Following Jesus sets us apart from this world. There are only two paths that we can go. Whatever that song was from the 60s or whenever, they were right. There's only two paths you can choose. Either we follow Jesus or we follow the ways of the world. There really is no in-between path. We were all born into this world, right? Was anybody here not born into this world? Do we have any aliens here? We, we were all born into this world, right? But when we came to know Jesus, when we gave our lives to him, when we received him as Savior and Lord, the truth is that we became citizens of a different place, heaven. So we heard the gospel, the word of truth, we accepted it, we became followers of Jesus. We belong somewhere else, yet we stay here for a while for however many years or days God has us left here. That's why Jesus says in verse 16, they are not of the world, even as I am not of it. The truth is, coming to Jesus means we belong to him and not to the world. But God wants us to be here for a while. He, he could have just taken us right up to heaven the moment we received Jesus Christ. He could have done that. and In some ways that would make sense. But he has a different plan in mind. He leaves us here because he has plans for us. I'm reading a book called Little Pilgrim's Progress to Josiah. Many of you are probably familiar with the book Pilgrim's Progress, that great Christian classic. They've written one for kids called Little Pilgrim's Progress that I'm going through with Josiah. And, and in there, the main character, his name is Christian. He's carrying a burden. 
and to him this burden is, just feels so huge. It's the, it's the weight of his sin that he's feeling. Nobody else can see, it, can see it, but he feels it. And he hears a message from the king through an evangelist that he can go to the king and get his burden removed from him and live in the celestial city with the king. And, and to Christian, that idea sounds good. So he starts off on this journey, on this path. But along the way, there's a whole lot of trouble that he meets. But he has something with him. He has a note from the king that reminds him where he's going and who he's going to. And, and at various times, he pulls out that note and he remembers, oh yeah, I can do this because of the one who's watching over me. It's a similar thing for us in our walk with God. In verse 14, Jesus shows us something to help us. He says, I have given them your word. It's the word of God that told us to come to Jesus. Jesus himself is called the word of God. So the word of God, whether we're talking about the Bible as the written word of God, or whether we're talking about Jesus as the incarnate word of God, the word of God is given to us to strengthen us on this journey that we're on. God knows the path is hard, but he's not doing that to torture us. He has plans for us, and his plan is to give us joy. Look at verse 13. Jesus says, I'm coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. How does that sound to you? <laughs> Great. Who, any of you, again, raise your hand. Would any of you not like a full measure of joy? Would anybody pass on that one? Jesus longs to give us a full measure of his joy. How do we get that joy? Well, we get it by submitting to his purposes. So my first point here is that we don't belong to this world. My second point is that we have a purpose here, and that purpose is sanctification. Sanctification. Uh, one of the Spanish pastors in the area here said, we don't have the word sanctification in our language. We just have the word holified. That, and that's what sanctification really means. It's to be made holy or holified. So I don't know why we have this big theological sounding word, but sanctified means holified. We're in the middle of our discipleship series here. Again, this is lesson four out of ten in this series. We're talking about discipleship, but sanctification is a very important part of our discipleship. Sanctification is a process by which God makes us holy. Now, uh, I, I want to describe it to you using some very theological words, three of them. But these are three important theological words. I've explained this before, but I want to do it again because I think it's so important. The three words are justification, sanctification, and glorification. So watch, watch my hand here. Justification is right here. This is when we come to know Christ. We were dead in sin before we came to know him. We came to know him and God made us alive in Christ. At that moment, we were declared righteous. The righteousness of Jesus Christ was given to us and we were declared righteous. Forgiven of all our sins, given eternal life. That's justification. Now I'm going to skip ahead to the third word, which is up here. Glorification. Glorification is what happens when we enter into God's presence in eternity. He will make us perfect. It says in the Bible that he's making all things new. There will be no more sin, no more death, no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain. He will glorify us. He'll give us new bodies, and we will live with him forever in a glorified state. Sanctification, then, is what happens in between. If justification is down here, glorification is up here, 
Sanctification is that path that we take that brings us closer and closer to God. Sanctification is what God does for us on earth here in between the time when we receive Jesus and the time when we die and are glorified. In the EFCA, we have a book that was recently printed. It's a book that explains to us the the details of our statement of faith. It's called Evangelical Convictions. There's a quote in there that I want to read to you. It says, So a disciple of Jesus is a follower of Jesus who humbly learns from Jesus so that he may become like Jesus in a process that takes a lifetime and will only be brought to completion when we are glorified with Christ. We follow Jesus to become more like Jesus. And the process that God brings us through as we do that is called sanctification and it will take our whole lifetime. And and we won't be made perfect in, in that sense here on earth. We'll be made perfect when we're glorified. But sanctification is the process whereby we become more and more like Jesus. Now as we talk about that word sanctification... Maybe your Bible has a footnote. My Bible has a footnote that says sanctification means set apart for sacred use or made holy. That's what it is. We, we become increasingly more and more holy as we follow Jesus. That's what God does in us. So that's our purpose here on earth. That's why God leaves us here. One of the reasons, so that we can become more and more like Christ. Jesus prayed for us that we would be sanctified, that we would be made holy. Let me use an illustration that helps me understand what sanctification is. Think in the Old Testament, in the temple. They had lots of things that they had to do, ritual sacrifices that they had to do. And as part of that, they had shovels that they would use. Uh, maybe, I don't know exactly what they used the shovel for. Maybe it was for clearing out the ashes when they were done offering the sacrifices. But they had these bronze shovels that they would use as part of the services. And everything that they used in the temple had to be sanctified or set apart for holy use. Now imagine that you were a farmer living just a little bit away from the temple and you had some land and and you broke your shovel one day. And you're like, oh no, I I had a lot to do with today with my shovel. I had to dig some holes. I had to spread some manure. What am I going to do? I broke my shovel. Oh, I know. I'll just knock on the temple door and I'll ask them if I can borrow their shovel. So you do that. You you knock on the temple door. One of the priests answers it and... uh, and, and you say you'd like to borrow the shovel so that you could spread some manure around in your field. And the, and the priest just kind of looks at you like, what are you talking about? You can't use a temple shovel to do that work. This shovel is set apart for holy use. That's the only thing that it can be used for. We are that shovel. We are sanctified. We are set apart for holy usage. Now, the opposite of holy uh, is unholy. But another way that you can look at it is common or profane. There, there are holy things over here, but there are common or unclean or unholy things over here. We as Christians are set apart for holy things. That's, what God, that's why God leaves us here, because he has things prepared for us to walk around in, And he wants to set us apart to make us more holy so that we can do those holy things that he wants us to do. To be sanctified is to be made ready for a specific task. What are those tasks for you? Well, I can't tell you every single little specific thing it's going to be because I don't know that. I can't look into the future and see that. But I can tell you that in general, God has things that he wants you to do 
and He wants to make you holy, increasingly holy, so that you're set apart for those tasks that He's called you to. So our purpose here on earth is more than simply going to heaven when we die. Now don't get me wrong, that's important. And I hope that every single one of you here goes to heaven when you die. But it's more than that. It's not, it's not just, oh good, I, I'm, I'm justified, now I can just lay back and take it easy until God glorifies me. No, there's this sanctification process that will take the rest of our lives that we are to be caught up in that God wants to bring us through. That's why we're still here. And as we learn from verse 19, we have been sanctified by what Jesus did for us on the cross, and we're continually being sanctified as we submit our lives to him. Moving on to my third point now, I want to talk about how that sanctification happens. So my third point, sanctification happens according to God's truth. God's word is truth. Verse 17 says, Jesus prays, sanctify them by the truth, your word is truth. We need to know what truth is, and we need to live according to it. And as I just said, part of that truth is that God wants to sanctify us. There's a pattern that that we are to follow, a pattern of holiness, and it's revealed to us according to God's truth, and God's truth is revealed to us in God's word. In this discipleship series, we're talking about how we can follow God more closely and how we can help other people follow God more closely. And what we see in this passage is that God's word plays a pivotal role in how we follow God and how we help others follow God. We don't belong to this world. We belong to a different place. And because of that, we are to follow a new playbook. You'll let me use another football illustration. I want you to picture a college quarterback, just this stud quarterback. All the NFL scouts are drooling over him. And, and they think he has all the tools. He's going he's to be an NFL quarterback someday. And he ends up getting picked, let's say, first pick of the draft. First pick of the first round, he gets picked. What's one of the very first things that happens for that college quarterback as he transitions into the NFL? He is given a new playbook. Now, he might think, wait a second, I'm a quarterback. I know how to play football. You don't have to give me this. But no, if he takes that as he's never going to be a successful NFL quarterback because he needs to learn the rules of the new system. And it's interesting. If you, if you follow sports closely, if you follow football closely, every once in a while you'll, you'll hear somebody saying as a compliment, he spent all summer with one of the assistant coaches just learning the playbook. That's what they need to do in order to become successful. We came into this world following our own playbook, following our own desires. But when we came to Christ, we realized we belong to someone else and we need to follow his ways. And we're given the playbook, the Bible, to help us in that. Jesus mentions God's word five times in his prayer here in John 17. And he mentioned it in light of us growing in holiness. That's our purpose, to grow in holiness. And he now tells us how that happens. It happens according to God's truth, according to God's word. That's why Jesus based his ministry on God's word. Take a look at the Gospels. The next time you read through one of the Gospels, notice how often Jesus quotes scripture. In fact, if you're in your Bible, you might want to flip to John 10 and look at one of those instances. In John 10, 34 and 35, Jesus is quoting the Old Testament 
and he's quoting what we would call a difficult passage in the Old Testament. It's one of those that we might not understand right away. Now, Jesus could have said, oh yeah, that verse, oh, it's, that's kind of a weird one. Just, just forget about that verse. Just pretend that that one's not there, and let's go look at some of the more important parts of Scripture. But that's not what he said. Not at all. He said something far different. He said in the following verse, after quoting this very difficult verse, he said, Scripture cannot be broken. Theologically, that's one of my favorite verses. Scripture cannot be broken. To Jesus, this was the word of truth. Even the part that's difficult for us to comprehend. Every part of Scripture, as we learn in the New Testament, every part is useful for us for growing in righteousness and being trained and equipped. Now perhaps you have questions in your mind. You might say to yourself, is this really God's word? You look at your Bible and you say, is it really God's word? Isn't this just an ancient book that was written by men? Well, I would say, yes, it is an ancient book. And yes, it was written by men. But I am becoming increasingly more and more convinced that it is the very word of God. Written by men, yes, but also written by the Holy Spirit. Written by God himself. The Bible is God's word. It's his gift to us to help us on our way and to make us more like Christ. That's why Jesus prayed in verse 19 that his, his followers would be sanctified in truth. Because God's plan is to make us more holy, more like Christ, as we follow God's truth. But again I ask, how does that happen? How are we sanctified by God's word? Well, the way that I like to say it is that we need to join with God in this process of sanctification. Sanctification is what he wants to do, but we need to join in with it. Let me use another analogy. I used a football analogy. Now I use a hairdressing analogy, okay? I'm trying to even things out here a little bit. You women, let's say you have a really important night and you want to go and get your hair done. What do you do? You, you go to the hairdresser. You sit down in her chair and you say to the hairdresser, do your thing, do your magic. Whatever it is that they do, I don't know. What do you say to them? Give me, give me a bob, give me a beehive. What, I don't know. Which, um, probably not a beehive, right? No. But it's like that with us and God. God wants to sanctify us, but we need to go sit down in his chair and let him do it. Sanctification is a process God wants to bring us through and we need to join with him, doing it according to his ways. And, and here's the way that I'll say it. God sanctifies us as we live according to his truth. Or as we do his truth. God's truth is revealed to us in his word. God, <coughs> excuse me, God himself is revealed to us in his word. So Jesus prayed that we would be sanctified according to God's word. So let's be people who seek God and humbly submit to him, letting him do his sanctification work in us. So that's for us, but this message isn't just for us. That's a big part of this discipleship series that we're doing, is that the lessons we're learning, yes, they're lessons that we must embrace, but they're also lessons that we must pass on. God wants all people to know his truth and to live accordingly. So my fourth point today is that we are to proclaim God's truth. We're to proclaim it. Verse 18, Jesus says, As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. Now it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out that Jesus had a pretty important task, right? God sent him and uh, it, it was pretty important stuff that Jesus was doing. 
But in verse 18, we see something amazing. As Jesus was sent, so he sends his followers. The word can be translated there. The word as can be translated as just as. In the same way. That's a staggering thought to me. To think, to think of God, the Father, sending his Son from heaven to the earth to proclaim the message of God. That's how Jesus was sent. Now Jesus says, now I send them. Just as I was sent, I send them. And in verse 20, like I've already mentioned, it's not just those 11 disciples that Jesus was talking to. He's praying for all who would believe in the message. And that's us. So we are now the sent ones, and our message is critically important. That's why we're to be set apart for God's will. That's why we pray, as Jesus taught us in the Lord's Prayer, your will be done. And again, I've been thinking about that phrase again and again, especially during this series. We're going to have, uh, I think in about four or five weeks, we're going to have a lesson on humility. The importance of us coming humbly before God and saying, God, it's not what I want, but what you want. That's how Jesus came. He came with a task from his Father, and he submitted to that. And that's what we're to do as well. We're to look at ourselves as sent ones, sent with a message. Disciples are to become more and more like Jesus. And what we need to do then is embrace the message that Jesus gave us and give it to others. Jesus' message is to become our message. That's why at the verse, end of verse 20 it says, I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. Do you see that? In, in the first part of this prayer, God, Jesus was talking about God's message, God's word. It's the same word. Word and message are the same word. He was talking about God's word. But then in verse 20, he talks about the disciples' word, the disciples' message. What happened there? God's word became their word. And they were sent to proclaim it. So that's our pattern. We aren't just people who are saved and then get to go to heaven. We're people who have a purpose here to become more holy and to proclaim God's message. We're to proclaim this message to non-Christians so they can come to know Jesus. And we're to proclaim this message to Christians so they can grow in their faith. We don't belong to this world, but we're still here, and we have a very important task to complete while we're here. Okay, now that we've looked at these four points, I now want to move into a time of application. And as we do that, I just want to be very honest with, with myself and with all of you and, and to realize that there are roadblocks. There are things that get in the way as we think about God's Word. God's word is essential equipment for our journey here. So we're to embrace it. We're to let it do its sanctifying work in us. But we're also to pass this on to others. So we should be people who regularly and humbly spend time before an open Bible. That's one of the best things that we do. It, Jesus prayed, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. It seems to make sense then that we should be letting God's word have its rightful place in our lives. And I would suggest that you get in the habit of meeting with God in his word, and I would suggest that you do that every day. I was talking about God's word once in a message I was giving at the college, in the college ministry there. And I talked about the biblical word meditate. It's a word that you can think of it like it means to chew on something or to let it sink in, or to, to read the words and then think about what they say. And as I was describing that, or afterwards, one of the other volunteer helpers there said, you used the word meditate, but it, it kind of, to me, sounded like you were talking about marinating. 
And, and the, the theological word is meditate, yes, but the marinating is a helpful picture. Now, I love to cook steaks. I actually, I love to eat steaks, and uh, cooking steaks is one of the ways that I can eat steaks. So I like to, be about three hours before I cook a steak on the grill, <coughs> I marinate it. And the way I do that is I poke holes into the raw steak with a fork, and then I put a mixture of olive oil and Worcestershire sauce, however you say that together, spread that on, rub it in, and then I get salt and pepper to it and spread that on. And then I take those steaks that have just had the marinade poured and rubbed in, put them in a plastic bag, and then I dump the rest of the marinade in the bag, and I let it sit there for three hours. And what happens to those steaks over the next three hours? They soak in the marinade. It becomes part of them. The marinade flavors those steaks. And that's what it's to be like with us in God's Word. We are to soak in God's Word. And, and sometimes, you know, maybe those fork holes that get poked in you don't feel so good. But we need to let God's Word get down into the very core of us and let it flavor us, let it change us from the inside. As you humbly submit to God's Word, you will be changed. But this takes commitment. And I realize full well that it's not an easy thing to do to be committed to reading God's Word. There are some roadblocks. So I want to quickly run through six roadblocks with you here. The first one is that you might say, I don't have time. Yeah, it sounds like a great idea, but when am I going to do that? No, I, I understand this. It takes time. But I also understand this. We make time for what's important. You know how I know that? How many of you did not sleep at any time in the last three days? <laughs> we, all, we all make time for sleeping. How many of you didn't eat any time in the last day even? We all make time for those things. Also, let me look at it this way. We make time for people that are important. We make time for our family. I now have a wife and three kids. That's different than seven years. Tomorrow is my seventh anniversary, by the way. And uh, I now have four extra people in my family. And I have made time to spend time with them. I love softball, but a couple years ago I gave softball up because I didn't want to spend another night away from my family each week. We make time for the things that are important to us. And if it's important to you to grow in Christ's likeness, I suggest that you make time for God's word. God's plan is that you humbly submit to his word. And, and listen to, to what he says about those who do that. In Isaiah 66, 2, God says, This is the one I esteem, he who is humble and contrite in spirit, and trembles at my word. God loves to look down and to see us with an open Bible, humbling ourselves before him, listening to him, being changed by him. Okay, second roadblock. You might say, it's boring. And again, I understand. I understand that. I'm not suggesting that you read the Bible like it's some thriller novel. We know how it comes out. Jesus rose from the dead. Yeah, and, and in the end, we get to go to heaven. Okay, I gave away the end of the story. But I am suggesting that you see the Bible for what it is. It's God's plan to make you more like Christ. And that thought is exciting. Now, believe me, I know it can be hard to get up the motivation to read God's Word again but I would say that it's worth it and I suggest we make the effort. Third roadblock. You might say, I know it already. I mean, come on, how many times do I have to read the feeding of the 5,000 before I get the idea of it? Jesus 
did a miracle. He fed the 5,000. Well, here's the deal. According to Hebrews 4.12, God's Word is living and active. There is more to learn each time we read it. Do you know why? Because the same Holy Spirit who wrote Scripture lives in our hearts and sheds light on Scripture as we read it. So it could be the 57th time you read something, you learn something new about it because that's when the Holy Spirit wanted to reveal it to you. And remember, Jesus based his ministry on God's Word. I think that Jesus knew God's Word pretty well, yet he made sure that it was central in his life and ministry. Fourth roadblock, you might say, on the other end of the spectrum, some people know it already, you might say, but I don't understand it. It's all these foreign names and places and words I don't understand. Well, my advice for you there is simply don't worry about that. Just keep reading. You'll learn. You'll grow. Yes, it takes time, but you will grow in your understanding of it as you submit to God humbly and read it. And then the fifth one. This is one that I wanted to make sure I got in here. So uh, if, you're, if you're falling asleep here, I, I want you to wake up for this. I, I'm almost done here, but I really want you to hear this one. And this is especially for people who've been reading God's Word already uh, as a pattern of your life. Fifth roadblock to meeting with God is legalism. Some people read the Bible as if it's merely something to do on a check-off to-do list. And it's not just some people. It's me, too. I struggle with this. Here's the question you should be asking yourself as you're reading God's Word. Am I meeting with Jesus? Am I growing more in love with Him? Am I spending time in the presence of God as I'm reading this? Or am I merely reading words? Am I merely doing this just because I think that I should? (laughs) The Pharisees of Jesus' day were people who diligently studied Scripture. Yet when Jesus, the point of Scripture, was right before their noses, they missed Him. They weren't humble before God as they were studying His Word. A better view, better than the Pharisees' view of God's word is given to us in Psalm 119.11. It says, Your statutes are my heritage forever. They are the joy of my heart. Do you delight in God's word? Or is it merely a box to check? Let's be people who meet with God as we open his word. That's a very different thing. It can look exactly the same on the outside, You pick up your Bible, you sit down, and you read for a while. But you can do it one day and meet with God and do it the next day and not even consider Him. Let's be people who make sure that we meet with God when we open His Word. Then the sixth roadblock here is not submitting to God's Word. It's one thing to read God's Word, but we also need to do what it says. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 7, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. I was listening to a sermon from my former pastor in Illinois. Yes, that's the one who preaches in a t-shirt sometimes. Some of you saw a video of him. He said, If you're not willing to obey what God has already said, I don't think he's going to give you any further guidance. If you're not willing to humble yourself before God's word, I wouldn't expect, I, I don't think you should expect to hear from him in some other way. The, the Bible is God's plan for us to know him more and to grow in holiness. We need to embrace it and do what it says. God changes us. 
He sanctifies us. He makes us holy. He makes us more like Christ as we humbly submit to His Word. But this takes commitment, and it's not easy, but it's worth it. I want to give you my view of Scripture. I'm so glad that God has given it to us. About 20 years ago, when I was a sophomore in high school, uh, this is when I say the light went on for me, when, when things started to click for me in my walk with God. And as I was there, I was, I was at Hillcrest Christian School, some of my teachers said, you should really read the Word of God every day. And, and I thought, well, that sounds like a big task, but you know what? They, it sounds right. If, if this really is the Word of God, then absolutely I should be reading it. And it's not too much then to say that I should do it every day. So I took them up on their challenge and I started reading the Word of God every day. <clears throat> Fast forward 20 years, God has changed me. I don't say that to pat myself on the back. I say that to say, yeah, God does exactly what He says He'll do. I believe that I am more like Christ now than I was 20 years ago. And that's in large part because of God's Word. Not because of me, not because of how good I am, but because God sanctifies us according to His truth. And God's Word is truth. Matthew 4.4, 4, Jesus says, Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Will you feast on God's Word? Will you commit to reading His Word and to live according to it? Will you commit to reading His Word daily? Will you commit to meeting with God as you read it? God's Word is a gift to us. Let's embrace it and let's pass it on to others. Would you pray with me? Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You, Jesus, for coming and being the Word of God and delivering the Word of God to us. God, we're so grateful that we can hold in our hands your word. I pray that we would meet with you in it. I pray that we would meet regularly, even daily with you. But not just that we would read the words, but that we would meet with you, that we would enter into your presence, that we would be changed by you, sanctified, made more holy, and made more like Christ. God, may we commit to you and to your process of sanctification for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.